This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com. Good morning New Zealand, welcome to another roundup of Neville Rides Boundaries and I'm Neville Wallace broadcasting from Hara and coming to you from Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio Waikanae, Radio Hawke's Bay, Arrow Radio Masterton. Before we go any further, congratulations to the New Zealand women's black ferns who won their first world title on Saturday evening. On the show today we have Derek Daniel, wire wrapper sheep breeder, Barbara Kurga, Taranaki King Country MP, Philip Duncan, Weatherwatch.co, and the Dawn of Comedy from Steampunk Capital of New Zealand, Jim Hopkins. Let's get started with hearing an idea of preventing rural New Zealand from being planted in pine trees sold for carbon farming. My guest today is wire wrapper sheep breeder Derek Daniel, who's had enough of this government trying to show Kiwi farmers how to farm, so much so he's come up with some ideas of his own. Good afternoon, Derek. Derek, would you like to explain how you view the present here Waka Hekanoa tax on farm emissions when New Zealand stock numbers have declined over time and human populations has increased? Yeah, look, um, my translation of Hey Waka Hekanoa is we are determined to tax you without justification. And when I look around the world at the 1.2 billion cattle and the billion sheep and ask how many of those are going to be taxed, I, I think New Zealand may end up being the only one. And, yeah, it's, it's just a total unfair imposition on our livestock industries when, as you, as you we are... Um, we have reduced stock numbers from 60 million in 1990 to 25 million sheep. Yeah. And in terms of beef cattle, beef cattle numbers peaked in New Zealand 6.3 million, they're now 3.9. So they're just uh, putting us in with the dairy industry. But even if you look at the dairy industry combined, we're 10 million cattle. We are 0.8% of all the world's cattle. 0.8%. Why? Why? What's the common sense in in taxing our largest export industries, the two largest, milk and, and meat, uh, and making us less competitive? This wisdom has decreed we need to grow unlimited areas of pine trees to nullify the effects of greenhouse gas. Yet farmers have been denied the advantage of growing their own sequestration, yet it's okay for foreign investors to plant pines to offset their carbon footprints. How do you take that? I wonder whether there's double counting. I wonder whether these overseas uh, investors and companies like IKEA, the Swedish furniture making company, whether they claim that as part of their environmental benefit to the planet, and the New Zealand government also claims it on behalf of New Zealand, so you get double counting, all part of the greenwashing that's going on and trying to um, not allow farmers to count the sequestration of their grass, not allowed to count the sequestration of their 
pre-1990 native bush and, and pine woodlots and, and other trees that are on on their properties. And it, it, it's all forcing farmers uh, to pay taxes. I, I think they're green with envy. They're not truly green. They're just greenwashing. Yeah, now, you've come up with a scheme. Would you care to tell our audience about your plan to get like-minded farmers or investors because rural communities are being decimated because farmers are selling their farms to overseas investors at exorbitant prices due to the high carbon prices on land that you can drive a vehicle over? Yes, exactly. There's even dairy farmers, farms that have been planted in trees and... This is a, a, a one-off. It's like winning the lotto, really. If you're a hill country farmer and someone comes along and offers you up 50 to 100% higher price for your land than you ever thought you were going to get, uh, you think, wow, this is like Father Christmas coming along. <laughs> the only problem with it is that uh, ordinary New Zealanders are going to pay more for their goods and services to actually make this carbon tax work because those that have to pay the carbon tax like maybe here in New Zealand and all sorts of businesses will have to increase what they charge except exporters will be left out in the cold because they can't just charge more on the international market they have to compete with other producers so uh, yeah it's way more difficult for export industries now, you've got an idea or a scheme that you could buy up some of these farms yourself and stop them from being put into trees? There's a crowdfunding effort to buy Mungahani. It's a station in the Taipei area, and it's around 4,800 hectares. Uh, it's carrying about 40,000 stock units at the moment, and it comes from... The Rangitiki River, beautiful fishing, it's a it's very scenic uh, river, and it runs right up to the Ruahini Range at about 13, 15 metres above sea level. There are many, many people who have enjoyed fishing, hunting, working on Mangahani Station, and yeah, it just, it, it just horrifies you to think this iconic landscape going under trees. That may not happen, but how do you stop it happening? Uh, Mike Barham from Hawke's Bay has organised uh, a bit to effectively crowdfund to buy the property and to keep it in farming. What people don't think about long-term, Neville, is, is that once you commit, especially hill country, to pine trees, it's very hard to recover it for any other land use. Pine trees suck the fertility out of the soil. They dry up streams that run out of those... Um, forest and so you lose all the aquatic life and it's you, you're committed to trees forever well who says pine trees are going to have any value in 2050 i responded to my logging contractor yesterday morning guy farm farm in turpington they run 22 gangs in the lower north island mm. and he's getting worried because there are um, pine forests that they were going to start logging in have been bought up by carbon interests and they're not going to log them at all so we are going to have uh, a lower export income as a country from export logs as more and more forests get shut up to carbon. And, yeah, and New Zealand is already in a, a, a very unsustainable trade deficit 
situation. How how are the people in New Zealand going to continue to buy fuel, to buy other products, to buy food? We buy coffee, all kinds of things from overseas. Yeah, it's um, it's not looking good. No, no, just I'll just add a footnote to that one too, Derek, because the latest rural farming magazine listed Wara as. Uh, what would you say? Uh, it's going to be run down because even the local meatworks are uh, concerned about the future of the meat processing in that industry, and there's going to be a lot of people out of work over there. Yep, you're absolutely right. And there's not enough people uh, to ban our meat processing plants. In. Anyway, I keep hearing about shortage of people all sorts of sectors of the economy. I was just reading this morning that half the hospo uh, restaurants and so on in the US are closing down. They can't get people. It's just, where are the people gone? Um, and, yeah, um, working on farms, working in driving trucks, working in processing plants, it's, where are the people? Where are the people to prune our kiwi fruit? Where are the people to share our sheep? How do we make our income in this country? Now, Derek, where can investors learn more about your proposals? So if we can rustle up a, an investor or two, they can do it for themselves. Okay, so there's an email address, foreverfarmingnz at gmail.com. So that's foreverfarmingnz at gmail.com. Dot com and Mike Barham, B-A-R-H-A-M, Mike Barham, he is leading the charge on this. Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how much commitment we get on that. Even if we don't get enough money to buy Mungahari, we're talking 40 and 50 million probably to, to buy it. Uh, that, that's huge. But we may raise enough commitment to buy a smaller property but at the very least, Neville, it gets this whole issue out in the public arena because a lot of people in the city is uh, pretty um, ignorant about just how much part is disappearing. Exactly, the... Derek, exactly, yeah. yes. Well, thank you for your time today, Derek Daniel, and good luck with your new farming saving proposals. Go well, my friend, and a Merry Christmas to the Daniel Clean Down Wire Wrapper. And to you, Neville. Today, Barbara Kurga tells us about posts made from recycled plastic she has seen whilst attending the Christchurch Royal Show. Well, let's learn from Barbara Kurga's visit to the Canterbury Show. Good morning, Barbara. What did you learn down there? Oh, good morning, Neville. Uh, look, it was a great show, actually. It was very, very good to see uh, Canterbury have it. They skipped two years over our COVID times, and I think there was something like 36,000 people uh, had been come through the gate by 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning when I was there. So uh, really interesting, um, really hot, 21 degrees, very fine day. Um, and uh, I know that the horse racing and all of that sort of stuff had gone really well the day before. But, yeah, just really interesting. Farmers are very, very keen to talk, um, very stressed at the moment with everything that's coming at them, but really pleased to be able to go out and have a day out. Uh, the big thing, I guess, with that show too, you see, because 
you know, egg pits, it's got a lot of animals in it, whereas, you know, at field days it's more a uh, commercial thing. It used to be a lot more animals, but now it's, it's rather more commercial, but the good old A&P shows for the animals are actually quite neat to see, so it um, was really good to be there. And, um, and interesting, I've had a, an interesting week, actually, because while I was down there, I uh, took the opportunity to go and talk to the people at Five Star Beef Lot. So you know, they have up to 20,000 uh, animals there, and we know that they've been affected by uh, Mycoplasma bovis, and there's been a process where the government's gone through to get the place depopulated and repopulated. Uh, so that's going on. Um, but just looking at, you know, when you think about farming, and I often say one size doesn't fit all. In fact, people say one size doesn't fit anybody, and that's true. So being uh, between there and being in Edgecombe a few days before, having a look at biological farming uh, on pasture and actually doing measurements down into the soil and, um, you know, seeing how far the roots can go down. And, you know, we were finding roots uh, at a metre deep um, of some of the pasture. So it just goes to show when you're trying to uh, um, make uh, rules for farming, uh, that farm and that farm have really nothing in common other than they have animals on them. So it's... You know, I think that's where you need to, when you're doing these things, you need to go out and understand what's going on in each different system because they are different systems and um, they have different markets for different reasons uh, and that's part of the strength of what New Zealand is. So one size definitely doesn't fit all and, and farmers are just such interesting people um, that they come up with all sorts of ideas. Um, I have also... Uh, seen some fairly exciting futuristic things this week. Um, at the show, one of the sites I did visit was Future Post, and we've been using Future Post on our organic farm. So these are posts that are made out of uh, uh, throwaway plastic, largely started with throwaway milk bottles, but there's various other sorts of uh, plastics go into them. I understand they're starting up a couple more uh, plants. Um, so the posts actually... They have posts, they have garden planter boxes, which is fantastic. So it's good to see that old useless plastic getting captured into something. Uh, so that's always exciting to have a look at to see how that business is expanding. But uh, two things I, I went to this week, uh, one in the electorate, I went to the Hillview Rest Home in Tikawiti for a visit and they've just laid, they're the first rest home in the country that's laid wall carpet tiles on the floor as they've done their renovations, and it's just fantastic to see uh, strong walls being the bane of everyone's life lately with all of the products that we make, largely doing extremely well except for strong wall. And uh, it was great to see these uh, wall tiles on the floor of the rest home. And then I went to a launch the next day in Wellington uh, of a product on the brand name of Flock, F-L-O-C, uh, like a flock of sheep, but obviously the same word without a K on it. They call it flock. And that was uh, wool coverings. And um, these wool coverings were basically, um, you could put them in many colours and anything you could print, you could put a pattern on it. If you wanted to make something and put your logo on it, you could put your logo on it. Um, architects are looking at it, thinking that it's great for, uh, not just for using a great sustainable product, which uh, wool is, 
but also because of the noise and the sound reverberation. So they are, there's some actual different shapes of it that they're able to put up on walls or put in ceilings that actually um, absorb the noise. And so they've, they've been doing, one guy there was showing us the test that he was doing uh, to show just how much you could stop that, you know, the noise is sort of clinging and clanging around um, the technology is a bit beyond my knowledge, but uh, wool's great for that sort of stuff. So it was it was really good to see that. So, you know, I've had a fairly adventurous week, actually, seeing lots of things, and today I'm actually heading out to uh, a lovely event uh, for about three hours with uh, volunteers uh, from Taranaki, uh, I think largely around North Taranaki, um, and um, just there's some volunteers going to get some awards and we're going to have a nice lunch. And I always say that volunteers, if there weren't volunteers in our community uh, and they all stop work at midnight on any given night, nothing would happen the next day. I always appreciate what the volunteers are up to. So, um, yeah, always something to do in my line of work, Neville. It, uh, it's very, very interesting. Well, thank you, Barbara. And go the female first 15 for this afternoon. While we've had very cold southeasterly winds blowing, Philip Duncan reminds us that farmers must keep weather conditions uppermost in their minds so the stock is always adequately fed. Good morning Neville, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing alright, my little patch of grass is all stacked and or wrapped and stacked now so I don't, have, don't have a problem but as we've just observed and said she's windy, it's drying out and grass growth is going to be a bit slow. How do you see it? You know? Yeah, I would imagine the grass growth might start to lift up now, but November's an interesting month. You know, we, we come out of October, and in October we, we still get cold blasts, and, you know, October kicked off with a wintry blast and snow and then frosts. Um, and, and then we get to November, and suddenly it feels like summer's just about here. And so not necessarily um, hot every day, but you just notice that those those wintry blasts have kind of disappeared. And now we're getting day after day of kind of repetitive weather. It doesn't change very much in November. And we notice this in our ratings on our website um, and my weather videos. We're not getting as many people viewing and watching the weather at the moment. It's just it happens almost every single November. It seems to be the one month of the year where people just don't care as much about the weather, and I think it's because it gets a bit benign, and uh, and it's quite you know quite quite pleasant, but not necessarily stinkingly hot or cold or stormy. So you just have a lot of days where it's a bit cloudy and a little bit windy, and you fast forward a couple of weeks, and suddenly you realise you need rain again. And I think that's what uh, I think the reality of that is kicking in with a few people now that. Gosh, it's suddenly gone from wet to dry, and how do we deal with that? And I think we're likely to be seeing um, a fairly dry weather pattern in a number of places this uh, for the rest of this year. Not necessarily drought, but just dry. You know, dry, yeah. a little bit dry. You'll notice yeah. it. So that has an impact on your farm carrying or farm stock carrying capacity too, Philip. So. Yeah, these are things that a lot of cockies don't keep up to speed with. Yeah, I mean, that's right. You've got to be monitoring um, not only what you've got growing, uh, pasture growth at the moment, but then kind of foreseeing what's likely to be happening in the next week or two. And so that's one of the reasons we built ruralweather.co.nz, because 
the graphs that, that we've displayed on it at the top of the page means that you don't have to worry about anything else but simply what are the temperature trends and the rain trends coming up for us. And we've been in talks actually to even see if we can build a, a pasture growth um, index for your property. And that's something that we, we may well be able to do next year. We've got all the ingredients for it. It's just a limited, you know, resources to actually build a lot of these things. But there's... At the moment, I think that the pasture growth should be lifting up, especially for those lucky enough to have had some rain. Um, there have been some downpours in northern and northeastern parts of the country lately, and that's going to really help pasture growth. But for where you are, you know, central areas, um, it has been drier, and the long-range forecast is still looking like it's leaning a bit drier than usual, but still got some wet weather in there too. So it's not all bad news. I think actually we're probably in, in a fairly good um, mix of weather at the moment. So at that rate, then the farmers need to just keep their eye on the whole situation and not get carried away with doing too much extra. Yeah, and, and you know, we we do our climate watch updates where we look at, you know, the, the season coming up. But even I'm the first to say, don't bank too much into something that we're talking about three months from now, because, you know, the, while it's not as inaccurate as you might think, it's actually getting more and more accurate every year, these long-range forecasts, but... They're not really useful sometimes for, you know, you might end up with just a period of wet, cloudy weather because that's just what happens in this country. So we're small with many microclimates. But if you, if you use rural weather, if you're aware of what we're talking about in our videos about dry trends coming up or wet trends coming up, all that kind of stuff should help you on the farm work out, yeah, whether or not you need to have fewer stock, livestock, or or whether or not you've got a you know, big surge of pasture growth about to come in. So it's we're, we're pretty good at um, sort of being in touch with that. And, and personally, I've grown up around farmers, so I know exactly what triggers them uh, because they tell me every time I catch up with them. So, so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm well used to knowing what to look for. And they're never happy, are they? Because one will be working right <laughs> <No. laughs> the other one. It's weird when they are. It's sort of like, I don't know what to do when everyone's all happy. It's like, well, what? But that's usually when they start talking politics. <laughs> oh, right. oh, well, we won't leave. We'll leave the obvious one out of today's uh, chat. <laughs> Philip, thank you for that roundup. And listeners, always follow Philip on YouTube. You can get the latest info there and make up your farming model from there. Thanks, Philip. Thanks very much, Neville. Finally, here's Jim Hopkins and we go through a range of topics from the uh, Black Ferns win on Friday evening to discussing three waters. We head for the steampunk capital of New Zealand where we find Jim Hopkins still rejoicing in the Black Ferns wins. It was a cracker, Jim, wasn't it? Well, it was indeed. It was a great game and a great um, uh, hats off to, um, you know, full credit, as they say, to both sides. I mean... We have to acknowledge the Poms, I think, coming as close as they did with only 14 players for yeah. pretty much you know, three-quarters of the game. I must say, Nev, I always thought red cards should be reserved for malicious acts or, you know, um, foul play. I mean, that was an accidental collision. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, the penalty, even if it was sort of double red, double yellow, and sat out, sat out 20 minutes yeah, rather than 10... But it, it does have a huge bearing on the outcome of games, I think. Anyway, uh, well done us, 34-31. Yep. Yes. <laughs> right. Now, there was a lot of controversy about the three waters, Jim. Yes. Now. Oh, a lot of, a lot of controversy uh, about a lot of things, young man. But yes, three waters. 80,000 submissions. I 
to which we funded. Massive amounts of money are going to be needed to do what they say has to be done to upgrade the systems around the country. Most of which actually don't need the degree of upgrading that is currently claimed. Let's be honest, if there are issues, it's largely in the stormwater area. And that's as much the government ignoring it over the decades as it is local government not funding it, because um, uh, it, it will be expensive. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, you can't build stormwater, so if you're going to have these entities operating sewer systems, drinking water systems and stormwater, then certainly the stormwater is going to be paid for by the other two. And the only way I can see it being done is metering. You will get a monthly water bill. I just I cannot see how else it can be done. And Nanaya hasn't. <laughs> yes, oh well. At least all the world leaders are over in Egypt doing nothing about climate change. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, I must say, just apropos of that, if I may, um, I was, it was quite nice hearing O'Connor the other day on the radio talking to Jamie Mackay of the country saying that he thought marginal sequestration should be included in the rules and he wanted farmers to say so. But the thing, I tell you what, I reckon, I mean, I was listening to Beef and Lamb talking about uh, the, the new way of measuring methane impacts and the like and how GWP100 um, isn't actually particularly reliable and GWP star is a lot more reliable and they were very keen that our government should um, should actually uh, uh, adopt that, and certainly, um, certainly, certainly, it would be a hell of a lot better to adopt that than adopt the hundred um, percent rebate or remission uh, rules that you can get with planting pine trees at the moment. We're the only country in the world. If you plant pine trees on good farming land, you can claim a hundred percent of everything as a, as a as a carbon offset. Well. I mean, sorry. Anyway, don't get me started on that. I'll tell you what, though, just very quickly. I, I, I think apparently the UN Climate Change Panel likes GWP star as a way to measure methane. And I just think, you know, people say, oh, James is on. Oh, the science is settled. The science, it's, it's not settled, James. The science is shifting. It's moving. And you guys are actually embracing the old science and there's a whole lot of people now embracing the new science. And I think what we've got is a sort of remake of the grand old Galileo versus the Vatican stoush. The only difference being that instead of the Vatican being up against one poor little Galileo, there's more and more Galileos now standing up and saying, no, guys, you're not right. This is wrong. Recalculate. Work this out again. You know, go back and do some better numbers. Give New Zealand farming a break. Really, I think it is too, and the time has run out for us too, James. So thank you for that, my kind friend. <laughs> well, it's been a thrilling conversation, and I wish you and your lovely lady well, and we'll talk again in the near future, I guess. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show, but I'll be back next week with more news from the regions, thanks to my producers, Evie and and Kakiti Anor. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com.